Hey there, fellow humans. Mark LaBusque for the Simply Practically Human podcast. This week, I am doing a little co-share of a podcast I was interviewed on by the amazing Kristen Harcourt, who is based out of Canada. And uh, she has a podcast that is called the Inspirational Leadership Podcast. So great opportunity for me to have a bit of a rest of interviewing someone else and um, sharing some of my thoughts on what it is to be human in the workplace. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LaBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and we have another fabulous guest. And this time he's coming to us from Australia. And I love that. I love the power of technology to be able to have conversations with amazing humans from all over the world. I'm going to be speaking today with Mark LaBusque, who is a provocateur. He's an author, a speaker, coach, facilitator, podcast, and all-round amazing human. And Mark believes that starting with human being creates better human doing and human innovation drives innovation. Welcome to the show, Mark. Kristen, thanks for having me. Great to be talking to you again after what seems like a very long time. Yes, yes. And so Mark and I met at the Work Human Conference, you know, with the the pandemic, I'm going to say that was three years ago. And I have to say, as soon as I met Mark, his vibrancy, and I just immediately gravitated toward it, towards his energy and his passion. And just a, it felt like a kindred spirit who like really is as passionate about this work. And so I'm excited about this conversation because I think that Mark also brings a unique spin to it. And that's why I like the word provocateur, because I think sometimes it is challenging, challenging the status quo, disrupting our thinking, disrupting our ways of, of doing things. And you do this really, really well. And I, I'm going to be excited to dig into that with you today. Now I'm looking forward to it. So as a starting point, you've had a diverse career. You've been at the, you know, starting and entry level all the way to the boardroom and across different industries. And so I'm curious, you know, when you think about what you were seeing in workplaces, and and I like when you talk about like, there's some good going on, but you really want to get them from the good to the great to maybe even the excellence. What got you into this work? What was really the catalyst? What a great question to start with. Wow, where do I start? Um, well, I think the first thing I'll say is I actually trained as a school teacher. So I was teaching five to 11-year-olds and only for a very short period of time because I, I, I found it quite toxic in the staff room. So so what got me into this work, I think the passion straight up for, for helping people to learn. And that, that stayed with me all the way from when I was teacher training at 20 right through to to 54 today. Um, And I always wanted to be that person in the workplace, um, Kristen, who when I went to training, I wanted to be up the front of the room, but I was like, I I don't think I can do that. And I really want to make the point, there is a lot of good that happens in workplaces, but I think I started to see more of what wasn't good. And where it sort of kept going back to was that what I could see if I was getting above it all was that we were talking about putting people first and, and all of these sorts of things, but the way that we were behaving and the way we were managing people w- would be almost at the opposite to that. So I guess what got me there in the end was my I ran an experiment for two years when I was running a, a big sales team, and the question that I wanted to answer in the experiment was what would happen 
if I treated my people like human beings? Which sounds like a bit of a crazy question, but for two years, I started to do some things very, very differently. And the results that came out of the experiment really fired me up to, to think about how could I do this for more than 40 people? How could I do it for more? So I started doing some internal work in that organization. And then eventually, I felt like it was time to take it out to a broader audience. So, you know, over time, and we're talking 25 years here now, it's not like it doesn't happen in a couple of years, 25 years of experience and observation set me on the path to this idea that humanizing workplaces was something that that the world needed. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And and when you start even talking about, I, I'd be interested, and I'm sure our audience would be interested to understand your experience a little bit more when you were doing that experiment. Like, what did that look like in a very tangible, tactical way? So, you know, the first version of what's going on, and then it occurred to you that, you know, I want to try to treat these people a little bit different, like human beings. What did you start to do differently? And then I'm, of course, curious around what did the results look like? What I will also say is there were two, there's been two versions of Mark as the manager. So there was young Mark who was, and, and I think many of your listeners uh, will relate to this, is was promoted past his level of competence. And, and that's in respect to managing people because I was very, very technically good. So I, I ended up working in the logistics business, Kristen, and, and I started there at, at like as a cadet. And that meant I worked on one of the afternoon shifts. I was loading planes. I was yeah. driving trucks. I was sorting parcels into the right bags. And because I did that with competency, yeah. they then put me into the call center. And I, and I say to people, because I could find the missing wedding dress on a Friday or the missing mining part for a big breakdown, then they made me the customer service supervisor and then the manager and then into sales and I could sell things. So they made me the sales manager. And what I found was that at a, at a, I was really all about the title that I could get. And so I had to set myself to become a state manager before I turned 30. And, and really, it didn't matter about the people for me back then. All that mattered was that I got to the lofty heights of, of that title. So the way I behaved early on, I'd say I'm less than proud of now, but I'd also say this. I actually think it was good to experience being a really lousy, bad manager so I can use that today to help other people. I think age, maturity, family coming along, a whole lot of things happened that then got me to a point. And then the system that was was saying it was going to do something and didn't do what it said it would, I became a bit of a provocateur and a bit of a maverick and decided to do something a little bit radical. And, and what I did one day is I sat down with an A3 sheet of paper and I put the word trust in the middle of the sheet of paper because I think that's where it started. I put the question at the top about what would happen if I treated my people like humans. And I actually just started plotting some things down on there, like creating what I called a safety net and providing really clear purpose for people, getting them to really understand why they were relevant and how they contributed at an individual level. Work-life balance came onto the sheet. Career conversations came onto the sheet. What was leadership? And so I started to experiment with that. And like any experiment, some things were accepted and worked really well. So this was an on-the-fly, on-the-run thing. It wasn't, here's what I found somewhere and I'm going to go and do it. And I got a lot of resistance early on because, as you know, human beings, uh, not so much we're change-resistant, we, we're loss-averse. Where People were thinking they were going to lose something. So... 
it took about, I'm going to say about six months before I started to see like a notable shift in the people in my team. So I'm going to also say this to people, if you're going to try these things, be ready for resistance. Because, you know, this this end game, the result I'll tell you about is fantastic. But I also want to let people know that there were some sleepless nights in between that. And I had to hold my nerve and, and sort of believe that this was the right thing to do. So we, we sort of set off down this pathway. And I started to notice, look, three months in, a few little changes, six months in, some real change occurring in the way my people were showing up to work. I think they were a lot happier. And we then saw an engagement score, I think, in year one in the mid-90s. And I recall at the time the HR team saying to me, like, this is incredible, but you'll be disappointed next year when this number drops down because you, you can't keep it there. And I, that to me, that was like a, a red rag to a bull for me. So I'm like, no, no. And then the next year we we were up there again. And then I'll tell you, and this is the thing that for me sits least important for me, but most important for the business was that we we finished year one 238% ahead of our sales target. So they tripled our target in year two. So we had a tripled target. And then what happened in year two is we were in the 90s again with our engagement score and we beat our tripled target by 198%. So I usually tend to start with the human side. My people seem to be happier, they are engaged. And as a result of that, I saw results that I'd never seen. Usually my results might be 5% below, 5% above, maybe 10% in a good year. But it was extraordinarily different when we started to focus on the human. Such a good story and, and incredible on so many levels. And I really appreciate you being honest and saying, because there's going to be some people who hear that and say, well, that's okay for Mark, but I can't do that because I'm this kind of person, or I have a technical background, or I don't have the skills, or I don't have the talent. And I think it's such a great reminder that we can all, like so much of this is the emotional intelligence and being able to work through, because as you said, there were some sleepless nights, like you're changing behavior. So it's going to feel uncomfortable. And so of course, that's the first thing that comes up for me on your ends, you're now shifting, right? You're showing up very differently than you were before. And of course, there's going to be some discomfort that comes up for you. So I'm curious for you, the leader, what was your self-leadership? What did that look like to be able to work through because you're all of a sudden shifting the way that you're doing things? What what did that look like from from a self-leadership perspective? I can tell you it didn't look like a straight pathway to success. It looked more like I, I write about this in one of my books that if you think that this is going to be a straight line to success, you need to rethink it. If I think about it as a as a highway or a motorway, it was full of potholes, it was full of dead ends and and wrong turns. So when I use those three words before, hold your nerve, that became really important to me. The other thing that I was doing, and this I think this is the really hard thing in in the work of self is. I called it an experiment, but my first experiment was me. So I had to treat myself as an experiment and, and try some things that that I hadn't done before, but also let go of some things that had made me successful. And I reckon that's one of our hardest parts of this work of self is that we can keep doing things, we can add some things, but then we've got to go, I've got to let go of this. And, and, what, and the thing that I had to let go of the most and this was the most challenging of the whole thing was I had to let go of the way that I framed trust. And trust for me used to be 
I'll trust you when you demonstrate to me that you are technically capable of doing something to I now trust that you turn up with good intention to do good work. In fact, you have my trust. I trust implicitly until you give me a reason not to. Now, that was really hard. And again, I'm going to be really honest is because some of the people working with me, they'd breached my trust in the past, but I'm also going to say this, I'd breached their trust as well. So we were starting from a point of that. And so that I sort of say to people, the foundation of this work is you need to start to reimagine and reframe what trust means to you. And that's going to be really, really challenging. So I'm almost changing my whole approach to who I am and holding my nerve because like when I go to meetings and I was a sales, everyone wants to know, what are your numbers looking like? Where are you at? How far ahead are you? And I'm like, I'm not talking about that today. I'm actually talking about we're focusing on thankfulness, helpfulness, fun, and care. And once we get those right, I'll tell you about the numbers later on. So I was actually turning up to meetings like very differently to everyone else and then just sitting there going, sometimes a voice saying to me, what are you doing this for? Like you're an outlier. And But if you're going to change, you've got to be prepared to sit in the discomfort of that. And I think someone's going to hear that and, and ask this. So I'm going to ask for them. I can almost hear my audience, the voice that's coming up. And so the, the thing that shows up for that is that's really scary. That's scary. And it takes a lot of courage to, you're really disrupting, right? So there's a, we know what standard meetings look like. So you're coming in here and your boss, other bosses are like, I'm sorry, what's going on with Mark over here? Like, do we need to get him some help? Like something, I don't know what's going on here. And then there's the whole social norms, right? Because you are, you're going against the grain and that can feel lonely and scary because you have a bunch of people over here who have oper- are operating in the, the old way, the old model. And so what did that, like in a very tangible way, again, like what did that look like? Like how did you take care of yourself and have that courage? And I'm sure fears did show up, work through those fears when that's happening because that's not easy. Yeah, um, so a couple of things you said there are, are so important around leadership. I, I, I follow a leadership framework called Adaptive Leadership, which is created by Marty Linsky and, and Ron Heifetz. And, and I'd read about it. And, and what happened, first of all, was that it helped me to start to make sense of why I was going down a particular pathway, because I'd always felt I was a bit different in the way I was leading, but I couldn't put my, my finger on it. So that, that sort of gave me a little bit of, this is an approach, this is a method to do this. Look, I'd go into the room um, with my peers and they'd say things like, oh, here's Kumbaya Mark again. And um, if our people are having a bad day, we'll send them to Mark and Mark will hug them and it'll be fantastic. And I recall we all sat down and we went through our engagement scores one day because they, you know, HR wanted to do this with us. And look, this is a humble brag. I was about 25 points ahead of the next person. But nobody in the room really, other than saying, oh, well done, Kumbaya Mark, they didn't acknowledge the work in that. But they went on quickly to acknowledge that, we, you know, they were 10% ahead of their their sales target. And I remember sort of saying, like, can we just stop for a minute and have a conversation around why is it that we don't acknowledge how we're motivating and engaging our people, which ultimately ends up in good work. But we're happy to sit here and say we're 5 and 10% ahead. We need to to change. So, so for me, the little tangible things was to... I'm going to say step into the discomfort of what leadership really is, which is lonely and challenging and provoking and pushing at, at the edges of 
what the system wants us to do and wants how it wants us to be. So the tangible things are to believe that this is the right thing to do, be prepared to be sitting in what I call your comfortably uncomfortable zone, and, and not to try and convince everyone that this is the right thing to do, but get them to become curious to sort of say, I wonder if I added a little bit of this, yeah. if it would help me to be be better. So look, I don't I don't want your listeners to think that I'm I'm saying that it should all just be human because I think if we can combine the technical work, the process, the strategy work with the human work, yeah. I think will be much better. I'm going to say to you, when I was doing this stuff, I was all about human and I think I was too much about human. So I learned that as well, that in leadership too, we've got to be open to the possibility that the old system has some really good pieces to it that we should keep and add the human bit to it. But look, there was scary times. I'd walk into those meetings sometimes and I'd be like, I haven't even looked at where we're at with our numbers. I usually will get asked that and I'm just going to say, well, I'm not, don't, don't know with that, but I'm going to tell you my people are happy. And I remember when my boss, just quickly, I'll tell you this, my boss asked um, me to, and asked us all to write our 12 month plan, our strategic plan for our teams. And I sent him back one sentence in an email that said, my plan is that my people will be happy and have fun. And that was it. He didn't get a 20 slide PowerPoint deck and he, he rang me and he said, this isn't a plan. And I said, just trust me. And if, if you trust me, this will work. Yeah. Wow. And I guess he got to see the results. He did. A year later, two years later. And I think that word trust is showing up a lot. Not only just trusting your people and trusting the process, but trusting yourself, yep. trusting the trying something new, having something guiding you that it's not just like, oh, I'm just creating something out of thin air. You see something that's talking through this way of doing things and, and the results that are possible. You know, what comes up for me now, Mark, is I think some people will hear the human being and the human doing part and, and not really understand, like, what does that mean exactly when we start to be recognizing? Because when I when I talk about it, I say like, yeah, we need both. We need the doing, but we start with the being and then through, from the being do the doing. <laughs> so help us understand what does that mean, the understanding the human being part first before the doing? Yeah, so the, the phrase that I use with that. And I, th I don't think it's mine. I, I think the, the words have been around before, but I use the term humanovation. And and the reason I do that very deliberately, first of all, it's a little bit provocative because people sort of look at me a bit strange. What does that mean? Because the word they know and the word we've come to understand, and it's an important word, but an overused word is innovation. And, and what I look at is I say innovation is really critical, but that's the doing stuff. And I have a view that we're human beings, but we've become human doings. And a lot of time that we're doing things, we actually aren't even thinking about how we choose to be. And look, an example of that would be someone who's doing really good work in sales and getting amazing results, but the way they're choosing to be is not useful for other people. So like I could become super competitive and think just about myself like I did when I was younger. So I'm not, not even thinking about how I'm going to turn up or how I'm going to be. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is, is if you practice human innovation, I'm going to say every day I say to myself, how do I choose to be at a macro level, a high level? But then every meeting I've got to go to, like even for this now, 
I have to sit there and I know what I've got to do. I've got to get up this morning. I had a nice little detox sauna for an hour before I came. I had a shower. I got in my car. I drove to my daughter's townhouse. I got on here. So I know what I've got to do. There's a list. But how did I choose to be in this? Could I come here and be like, it's 7 a.m. in Australia. I really can't be bothered and I'm just going to try and get through this or am I going to be like, because I get to see you again and I love your energy, I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to be really in this, in this moment and present. We've got to make that choice before we do the work and I think we go the other way too much. So I just want people to think like practicing humanization and thinking how do I turn up, how do I show up, what's my word for right now? How does that maybe change a little bit during the day, given my circumstances? And the more that we step into the being, I think the more productive the doing becomes. Yeah, to me, it's a game changer. And and people recognizing when they take that step back, how often they weren't giving thought to their intentions and how they're showing up. And I, I talk so often about this when I get into the mindfulness and, and being fully present. And I can feel this right now. We are fully present. Like you and I, it's just you and I. Like it's all about us. Yep. We're completely co-creating something together. And we talked about that before we got on. Like, let's go co-create this. Yep. And so imagine... The thing that I love about it is that when you're fully present with that human in front of you, it's not only amazing for that human who's feeling completely seen and heard, it's an energy exchange and it's amazing for that person as well because it comes back to them like each person is getting to be in this beautiful dance and it to me... It feels sad when I hear people like so often, you know, plowing through work, do, 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 getting the action, hitting the numbers. We have one life yep. and you're missing out on such a beautiful part of what it looks like to be a human and be contributing and connecting to the people around you. There's a few other things at play here as well. So, you know, we are absolutely engaged in this conversation, but I'll also say that unconsciously or consciously, there's we have between 12 and a half and 60,000 new or recurring thoughts a day. That's the research. I love using research, Kristen, when it suits my argument too, by the way, and I think we're all like that. But, but So I'm sitting here talking to you, and in the back of my mind, I'm like, we're in lockdown again here now. What does that mean for me? What have I got in my diary next week that I need to look at? Um, I'm thinking about whether or not I've shut the fridge door because, you know, is anything melting in there? Like there's so much going on, but what I want to say is the ability for us to to calm that in the moment and just sit there and go, I'm going to choose to be really present right now. I know I'm going to be distracted at times, but stay there. But I think we are so distracted and busy in our minds with, I say, impressing people. Like, I'm going to take on more than I should because that gets ticks for me and gets status for me and that sort of stuff. And people say to me, it's not that simple. And I go, you're right. It isn't that simple. I don't say that this is simple, but what I say is if you become more present, if you become, you used the great word before, more intentional and just slow down in the moment, you know, because people go to back to back to back to back meetings now on Zoom or Teams or whatever. It used to be in the office. When you leave one meeting three minutes after it's supposed to finish to then go to the next one, what you've got to do is stop in the moment and go, how am I going to choose to be as I walk through that next door? This is These are the little things people need to think about. So not easy, but if it was easy, we'd all be doing it. 
Well, and I think it's really important what you just pointed out there is remembering the self-compassion and being kind with ourselves, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think the other pieces, then it starts to become this. I remember talking to a client and, and she was high achiever and she was noticing that she was being a high achiever around meditation now, right? Like she just moved it from one thing to the next thing, right? It's like, now I need to become the perfect meditator and how many (laughs) minutes and how often did my thought? I'm like, yeah, it's supposed to be around non-judgment. It's like, we're we're not doing this. Like, let's just make this as well, right? So it was interesting how how that kind of became an internal competition. So I think it's really important with what you said there as well around what does it look like to recognize you're, you're the student? And I believe like we're always the student, right? In different yes. times where we're constantly learning, sometimes we're the teacher, sometimes we're the student and we're constantly moving through those roles. And what does it look like to just be patient with ourselves when we're trying to learn a new skill? Because we do live in a 24 seven, always on. It also brings me with what you said there too, what does it look like to get the organization to help support that in some ways? I, I really try to promote organizations, make the meetings 45 minutes or 50 minutes yeah. so people can have a little bit of time in between. And does it actually even need to be a meeting? That's another big one. <laughs> we could talk about that one as a separate topic. It's interesting when you said what you're just saying, so I don't forget what's coming to mind around the how does the organization embrace this? I look at leadership in in three distinct phases. And I think one of the, and it's not because there's not good intention, it's because the work's hard. We need to start with leading self. That's the first work we need to do. In order to lead others and manage others, we actually must know self. And we must know all about self. And that means we're going to open up some doors that we don't want to open up, all right? When I have to open up the old Mark door, I'm not proud of that, but I need to open that to make sure that I understand why good Mark's better than what bad Mark was. And then it's leading the team and then it's leading in the organisation. But I think what happens in, and you may see this too, but I think what happens in um, leadership development is the leading self piece, this might be a bit provocative for some people who are listening, usually we get someone to do a psychometric profile of some sort and we spend about five minutes on that and then we've done the leading self work And we tend to then spend about 80% of our time on leading the team. So how to have difficult conversations, how to motivate your people, how to engage your people, how to help them to to negotiate. So we go straight into that work and then ultimately talk about how do we influence in the organisation for the other, you know, 15%. I actually think, and my work is, I say to my clients, my work is 85% of the work we'll do in the room is holding the mirror up to ourselves and it's going to be hard and you're going to see some things that you like and you're going to see some things that you don't like, but I'm not going to allow you to step away from either of those things. Organisations, if they're going to do this right, they need to invest in the work of self and not just do it as a compliance-based tick-the-box activity with some sort of psychometric profile. I agree completely. I think that's a gap that I see over and over and over again. And I get really excited when organizations are willing to invest in their leaders. Sometimes it's six months, but sometimes it's even longer. And when they're willing to do a year, when they really get like, oh, meaningful change is not something you just snap your finger, it's done. It's two steps forward, three steps back, forward, back, forward, sideways, all over the place. So I think that when they recognize that, and it's interesting, I'd be curious around your perspective. One of the things I noticed with organizations that I've 
been speaking with, and especially when I brought CEOs on the show that are really progressive and they, they're speaking your language too, Mark, like they get this, they embrace it. They, they just live it and breathe it. Almost every situation, the CEO had had their own executive coach and did so much of their own inward work. And so they got it. And so I think there's a, there's a disconnect in so many of these organizations, the leaders haven't done that work for themselves, no matter where they are, a lot of times, even the C-suite. So how can we be modeling and teaching and helping that when they haven't done the work either? This is where we have the collision between the old system and what can be a new system, which keeps elements of the old system in it. So the old system was promoting those people based upon their technical competence. And it still does today. Like, you know, I've said before, sell well, and then you become the sales manager you know, put the right things in the right bag and then you become, you go into customer service. So we've got to adapt the system. And, and, and when we say adapt the system, I like what you said before too, this is a long game. Like when people say, you know, we want to do a two-day offsite uh, with the team and we want them to become more human. I'm like, I think you're talking to the wrong person here. You need to go and find what I call a, a rinse and repeat consultant who'll do some fun games with you and you'll you'll catch each other falling backwards and you'll feel good and then you'll go back and nothing will change. We need to, first of all, look at it as a long game. That's the first thing. That I love what you said too, two steps forward, three steps backwards. That's the way this work works. So I think that's the first thing. How do we bring in, how do we get the C-suite to start to get into this? Well, we've got to be really honest with them and say that the work has to start with you because I've been talking a lot about this lately, Kristen, about the power of mirroring in the workplace. And and particularly when I talk to people about work-life balance, just just to give an example here, managers say we're telling our people not to get on emails all hours of the day and and workless hours, but they're not doing that. So, So this has to happen at the top so that people can mirror it. We need to help CEOs in that realize that there is massive strength and not weakness in vulnerability. And I know you talk a lot about this stuff is show some of yourself, take some of your armor off no, and don't take too much of it off straight away because that will actually spook the people. But <laughs> like, it's like, you know, it's like getting into your pool. You don't, don't dive in head first on this work because you might not find the bottom. Just step into the step and feel a bit uncomfortable with the water temperature and acclimatize and go again. So I think if we can, we can let them know that you don't have to go from what you are today to something totally different, if we can just get you to adapt over time is the way this works. But the other way I've done it is is we've done the work through the middle of the business, through what I would call the engine room, and and letting that the people know above them, the reason we're going this way is because we want them to put upward pressure on you now. Yeah, I like that. So we can go a couple of ways here, but it comes back to adapting the old system. It should not be about technical proficiency. And this the other question that, I put to people is I was never asked as I was put into people management roles, if I, this question should be asked, do you want to manage another human being, Mark? We actually assume that everybody wants to be a manager because that's the only way to get promoted. Whereas there are a lot of people who are great human beings who love the technical work and we miss an opportunity to allow them to become mentors and coaches rather than managers. So I think that's something else to think about as well. 
Yeah, I think you brought brought up so many valuable points there and it is a process. And and it sounds like when you're having conversations, they've gotten to a place, they're at a point where they're recognizing in order to be able to work with you that they're not interested in doing a checkbox exercise. They're not interested in instant gratification, one and done. They've gotten to a place where they understand. Is that right? Like, is that something that you, there are some questions that you ask before you work with an organization to assess readiness? Yeah, well, well, there's a couple of things there. The first question I ask, which is going to sound a little bit cocky and arrogant, is whether I want to work with you. Like, I'm coming along to this meeting to work out whether I want to work with you. So I've got some questions that I want to ask you. And first one is, is this a tick-the-box activity? And, and, and tell me why you're really doing this. And when they start to talk, because you said these two words before, which are great. When people get it, yeah. very quickly they speak a different language when they're just rolling out the we want to become more human and I'm like well what does that mean to you oh well you know you're the human guy and I'm like well no I don't know what what does that mean so there, there are people who really are up for it usually they're the ones that have had a moment I call it it's and a moment might have been created by significantly low engagement scores over a long period of time tried a lot of things never worked or I guess moments happen like it's happened to us in the last 15 months all of a sudden we've realized the importance of connection when we can't be physically connected and the importance of belonging when we're not together so i think that's helped as well but i am pretty brutal and provocative when i go in to talk to people i'm, I'm going to say to them this is this work is going to be hard it's going to be uncomfortable i'm going to take you to places that you may not want to go to but what I need to understand is whether or not you're up for that. You have a tolerance for it because if you're more about catching each other falling backwards to do the trust game and things like that, which are a bit of fun, and not into looking into the mirror, well, I'd suggest you find somebody else to do the work. So, and I think that's really important that if that's where they're at, and I think this is a key point, you've got to meet clients where they're at. And I say this with managers as well and leaders. Each of your people are different and they're at a different part of, let's call it their journey. Don't walk in and think everyone's ready to be human because some aren't and some are really up for it and there's some people in between. So we've got to allow that to happen as well. Yeah, I think it's just assessing and there's, I think of that even as a coach, I it, some of the people who I start working with, if I said some of the things, this is where I know we're going to get to at the beginning, <laughs> like I'm out of here, like, <laughs> because they're not, it's, they're not ready. They haven't evolved to that point. But then sometimes we've been working together for two years and they say, wow, I could have never imagined we get to this place. But again, I'm aware I wouldn't have, you know, I, I meet them where they are. I use the language that's comfortable and and allow them and create space for them to go on that journey. But sometimes we can't see what we can't see. We're not at that place to have, I always like to talk about the layers and peeling a layer after layer after layer. Yeah. You can't skip the layers. You can't take the onion and just be like, oh, I'm just going to skip all these layers and get over here. You have to you have to do the work from one after the other. So I, I think it's so important to to recognize that and acknowledge that and, and not treat it as good or bad. I, when I notice myself, I, I try, I work hard and I'm perfectly imperfect. Those times where I notice I'm not actually showing up with self-compassion for that person and expecting them to be somewhere they are that I'm actually being a little bit self-righteous. Cause like, 
I was that same person maybe five years ago. And like, who am I to be judgmental around where this person is on their journey? But that's really, you know, what you've just described is incredible self-awareness. And the other thing is that something that I'm really starting to talk to people about, you've just shared, you know, lived experience. So I've been that person. So I know, and I think this is really important in this work that we both do is that we can use some academia and some research and some models and theories and they're really important but i reckon what's happened with the pandemic is that lived experience is becoming a really important and powerful tool to help people to to make the shift and it's gone past when you were talking before what came to mind for me is we've gone past trying to fix people because that's not what coaching is it's coaching isn't uh, when it's not and i say that to my clients i'm like i'm not here to fix you because when people, sometimes people who have been sent to be coached, they're like, well, what's this all about? What are you going to fix? And I'm like, nothing. But we could make some real progress here if you're open to the possibility. And and I'm a bit like you. I'm not going to tell people that I think they can get to here because that's a road, a bridge too far. But if we help them along the way, little steps, I think it works really well. So it's, look, it's challenging. It's a challenging space, but I bet you get some, as I do, you get, you must feel so proud that you talk to people a year after you've been coaching them and they, they, they ring you and they send you a message and they're like, Hey, I just wanted to let you know yes. this. And I'm like, yes. Wow. How good's that? It, exactly. It's those moments and it's, it's such a privilege. And it's also, there's times where something that they bring up makes me recognize. I always say my clients are also reflecting back some of my work, right? I'll say, oh, it's interesting that what, there's something I'll give an assignment. And I think, oh, I think I'll also be working on this assignment for myself later on because we're never done. We're always growing and evolving. And there's, if we stay in a place of curiosity, there's so much to learn. I knew that I would not want to end this conversation because we could literally make this a three-hour conversation and go into so many directions. And it's hard for me to even start to get close to the point where we're going to be wrapping up. And there's so many different places I still want to go with you. So being conscious of our audience and how we can best serve them. If you were going to, if I was going to give you the magic wand and say, okay, Mark, Here's the magic wand and you get to decide, you know, going forward, if it was these three things that you'd like to see most, this is your dream, your vision for what you'd like to see more of in workplaces. What would that look like? Oh, that's a, that's huge. Um, The magic wand. I think the first thing would be that we need to be not so much something to do, but that the mindset is, Let's just be really honest and say that this is hard work. So, so the first thing is is to be honest and to be upfront and, and and also let people know that this work won't be for everyone. Yeah. So I think that's the starting point because I could sort of go straight into here's three things I did in that experiment that worked really well. But when I pull myself back from that, it's like being really honest with people we're in for a long ride here and it's going to be bumpy and all sorts of things are going to happen. So that's the first one. I think that I've talked about this a bit already, but we are the, the second part is, is 80 to 85% of this work we're going to do is going to require you to look at you. And so again, buckle up for the ride, hang on. You might see some things that you will say that, geez, I've, 
bad mark. When I think of bad mark, I'm like, I'm a bad person. And it's like, you're not a bad person. So don't be thinking that. So that's the second thing is that you would have done some things you might have regretted in your career, but you've done some things that you're proud of as well. So let's sort of start in that place of don't be too hard on yourself because we're our own greatest self-critics. And the third thing is, and I love the use of the word curiosity because then it takes me to the third piece is that this, what we're about to embark upon is an experiment. We don't know the answer yet. And this is really important because we want to know the answer because that's sort of the environment. We need to know what's going on. And if we don't, we roll up into a ball in the corner, sucking our thumbs in the you know fetal position. And so it's to say to people, you need to adopt an experimental mindset and your experiments should be small and they should be safe enough that you don't try something too crazily big that doesn't work and all of a sudden you shrink back into, into something. So they're not really sort of tangible, tactical, transactional things. They're more the mindset pieces that we need to change before we can embark on the other work, the transactional. I guess it's what I've talked about is the being stuff. And then we get to the doing stuff. So, so changing people's mindsets that doing's important. I loved it when you said that, but it's how we choose to be, which is going to impact on what we end up doing. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think it's such a beautiful place to end off because ultimately none of that doing is going to be effective unless we get here at the root first. So it's working at the root with the being. And once we've got the roots, then everything else actually looks different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, yeah, look, I hope that helps some people there because sometimes they're looking, you know, we, our brains are looking for the, give us, just give us three transactional things, Mark. And it's like, no, 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 we need to, we'll get to that later on. Well, and I think that's also going back to this instant gratification and we just want to get into these actions. That's again, making it more of a checkbox exercise. We, we're not going here until you do the being first, right? We need to get all yeah. of these lined up. And when it's coming from that place, everything looks so different, right? The, the team, the group, the collaboration, the organization, everything is coming from a different space. Yep. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Mm. Beautiful. And I want people to get an opportunity to learn more about you, but I also want to tell everyone, I highly recommend Mark's books, checking out his podcast, but you let us know, Mark, where's the best place for people to know, learn more about you and your work? So there's a couple of ways to do that. My website is, is, is marklebusk.com. And that's where they'll find all sorts of things on the podcasts, the blogs, they can sign up for a, I put a monthly, what I call Mark's musings out, which is just what's going on in the month for me. And that includes everything from my my current house renovations to some sort of leadership lessons that that you might get. The second one I'm going to say is LinkedIn. So just reach out and hit me up for a connection on, on LinkedIn. And the third one is just send me an email, reach out and go, Hey, I'd love to have a chat. Because I learn, as you said before, if I hear from people that your listeners and they go, hey, I wouldn't mind just having a conversation with you. It's just mark at marklebusk.com. You know, hit me up for a, for a chat. And I'll promise you, I'm not trying to sell people stuff. I just, I just like to speak to humans. So that'd be the three places to get hold of me. Wonderful. And I, I think people are just going to, they can't help talking to you and not want to work with you because of the... Not only the credible work, but I think you just bring such a unique, authentic, compassionate, 
all of that together energy to this stuff. And it's so needed, so needed in the world. Yeah, well, look, thanks for having me. It's been so good to catch up again. We, we need to make it more frequent than uh, than what we have, but it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have a chat with you. And I hope that your listeners have uh, found a little bit of gold for themselves, a bit of human gold in there for themselves. So thank you. I am sure that they have. And you need to get your way out to Toronto or Work Human Conference or Australia is on my list at some point. So maybe that's going to be in the cards sometime soon. <laughs> Just let us out. That we you know, let's get this pandemic under control, and uh, we can start to we'll start to travel again. So, thank you. Make that happen again. Thank you so much for being here, Mark. The great thing about a co-shared podcast is that I get the chance to share a little bit about what I um, am seeing in the world of human management, and uh, get to catch up with an amazing human being. Um, who I got to meet first of all when uh, I was in Nashville. Tennessee for a work human conference a few years back and uh, we've stayed in touch we have some very very similar views on the world of work and I hope you've been able to pick up a few of my ideas today that I think are pretty simple and practical things you can put into place very very quickly my advice would be this don't try and do them all at once just uh, try one thing at a time give it a go and tick that one off, embed it into your day-to-day procedures, and then start experimenting with another one. I think you get uh, a few things to work with out of this one. Hey, um, as I say with any of my podcasts, if you like this one, why not rate it five stars? And if you'd love to share it with your friends, but until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.